City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Wherever, wherever I finish reading for our sermon last week is where I pick up this week. And so each week we go through and pick up where we left off the week before. So what we do is we go through large chunks of the Bible. So right now we've been going through 1 Corinthians and I haven't skipped a single verse. And yet there are times where I want to skip a single verse. Or 16 verses or so. But one of the things that Lectio Continua, that that verse-by-verse preaching that this idea does, is it forces us to eat our vegetables. Right? As children, uh, most of us did not like vegetables. I have very strange children who will eat their vegetables and not their meat. um, And who will turn their nose up at cupcakes but have never met a zucchini they didn't like, right? My kids being the exception, we most of us are forced to eat our vegetables, right? When my wife prepares a salad alongside our dinner, I just sort of stare at it and go, salad. Preaching through large chunks of the Bible. Hearing the Word of God through large chunks of the Bible sometimes forces us to eat our vegetables. And the reason we do this is because we believe that the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God. Not just most of it. Not just the parts that are convenient. Not just the parts that don't clash with our cultural preconceptions. We believe that the entire Bible is inspired by God and is useful for us, for the transforming of our hearts and for growing us close to Jesus. So this week is one of those passages that if I could cherry pick, I would. You know, I I thought about maybe pushing this passage off to next week and having a guest preacher. You you take care of this. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. No, no, no. But we're going to do that. And so this week, because the passage is is different, it's going to ring differently in your ears and mine. We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to read the passage now, and then I'm going to sort of set it up after we've read it, because I think that's significant. So let's do this. Let's stand together, and let's hear God's Word. This is 1 Corinthians 11, the first 16 verses. It says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember in everything, me in everything, and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head was shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair short or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For, all, for a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, 
and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair was given to her for a covering. And if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So how about that? Good luck, Justin. Knock yourself out, right? This is a hard text. And I want to, before we even get started, sort of lay out some of the problems and some of the struggles that we, as 20, it's the 21st century now, I always, I think it's the 21st century, as we sort of look at this passage, as we hear this passage with 21st century ears, what are the struggles we have and what are some of the struggles that I've had this week as I have studied this text? Well, let's go through. First of all, uh, there is a huge cultural disconnect between us and the time when this passage was written. This passage was written to the city and the church in Corinth, a Roman colony, and was written somewhere in the 50s AD. Time and culture has changed. Gender theory has changed. So many things have changed. For instance, what would be considered modest about hair then really has no bearing on what we consider modest. Uh, the same thing is true of whether or not women should wear headscarves. This is something that is absolutely culturally foreign to us and was incredibly culturally relevant to the people at Corinth. And so as we come to this text, there is a gap between our culture and the culture that this text was written to. And that's hard. But not only that, the way that the people of Corinth worshipped before they became Christians bears weight on this passage. That's hard. And then to make this cultural disconnect even weirder, Paul sort of appeals to the culture of Corinth when he says what? You, you all know this. Well, just look around. Doesn't nature, doesn't everything around you teach this? And we sort of look at that and go, well, not for me it doesn't, Paul. So what do we do with the cultural disconnect? Not only that, uh, Paul uses the word head several times in this passage. And the word head in Greek is just like the word head in English, in that it has a lot of different shades of meaning, and Paul uses all of those, and he sort of moves in between them. Here's what I mean by that. Um, in one sense, when Paul says head, he's literally talking about your noggin. The, the thing that's on top of your neck. Right? We all understand that use of the word head. But not only that, it's not weird for us to say that Elon Musk is the head of Tesla. He is the, the authority over Tesla. He is the creator of it. But not only that, if I were to tell you that the headwaters of Booker Creek that runs through downtown and out to Bayboro is Booker Lake in North Kenwood. The headwaters are up there. You would understand that I was talking about the source. So Paul uses the word head to talk about noggins, authority, and source. 
And it's all the same word, just like we would use the word head in those same scenarios. That's frustrating. Paul, why couldn't you, why couldn't you use some adjectives to help us walk through this and maybe be a little bit more comfortable? And the last reason, and, and, and really, as we look at this text, one of the reasons that is most significant as we read this text is that it just seems to clash with the culture that we live and breathe in. Whether we consider ourselves liberal or conservative, no matter where we are on any sort of scale of culture, there are parts of this passage that strike us as strange. The fact that Paul is not taking it to the man and crushing the patriarchy is frustrating for some. Right? One of my favorite things to see around downtown is there's a group of women um, who protest who have these like spot on handmaiden's tail, um, handmade um, uniforms, outfits, uh, and they'll walk around downtown uh, in a single file line and you know carrying their shopping bags, and it's it's interesting to see. And if and if those folks, I don't know if any of you you can't see the people inside this. I don't know if any of you folks are those folks. Uh, but as you read this, you're probably frustrated that Paul is not aggressive enough against the patriarchy. Others of you read this and are frustrated that Paul is too loose on his view of women. Paul is talking about women praying and prophesying in church, and that feels uncomfortable. And not only that, Paul begins to talk about gender, and he begins to talk about gender in a binary way which cuts against our culture. And not only does he talk about gender in a binary way, a a male or female way, but he says that there are distinctions there that have to be maintained. So again, good luck with all that, Justin. Let's do this, right? So on the one hand, this is a hard text, but on the other hand, I want to affirm that this is a text for us. Sitting here, 21st century, St. Petersburg City Church. Why? Because brokenness is universal. While the way that we sin may be different from the way that the people of Corinth did, the brokenness is still the same. It is still universal in a way that while they didn't have iPhones, their hearts were bent in the same way our hearts are bent. And so, not only does this passage address us because our brokenness is universal, but also because the authority of God is universal. The God who is speaking through this text when it was written to the church at Corinth is speaking to us now. His authority is just as real then as it is now. And our problems have more in common with the struggles that the church at Corinth was having than we usually care to admit not for the reasons you're probably thinking right now. Our struggles in life have more to do with this text than you think. But not in the way that you would read it on the surface. Because you and I have an intrinsic desire to throw off any rules and make our own way. This is something that we all do in many ways. I'm not going to follow any of the... I'm going to make my own way. And the trouble is, for me, 
and I'm guessing for you too, is that when we say we're going to forge our own path, the path that we forge is the well-worn ground of the attitudes and opinions of our culture around us. You are more shaped by the social media, digital media, and cable news media that you consume, whether it's liberal or conservative, than you want to admit. And that informs your life far more than the Bible informs your life. This is true of me, and I think it's true of you too. So let's walk through this passage, and let's see what God might have of us in a strange passage on whether or not you should wear a hat to church. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this passage has to do with whether or not women should be wearing head coverings. Now, to be clear, when he's talking about head coverings, he's talking about something that would look more like a headscarf that you would find in the Middle East than a hat. But the first thing that Paul says, he says, I am so glad that you are maintaining the traditions, that you are following along what churches have done, and you're expressing them in unique ways to the city of Corinth, but you're getting some things messed up. And let me root this whole discussion in something that you wouldn't necessarily think to root it in. And he says, look, this idea of gender differences and distinctions, this idea of the way that God has created us, is rooted not just in the way that God made us, but in the essence of God himself. Paul roots the theology of this text in the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is what we as Christians refer to when we talk about the fact that God is three persons in one God. That those three persons are fully equal in majesty, glory, and eternity. Not one of them was created before the other. They are absolutely equal in all parts of their essence. And yet, at the same time, they have chosen, God has chosen together as a community in and of himself to express themselves in different ways, to show themselves with different roles. And so what Paul says is, look, just like God and Jesus are equal but do different things, so man and woman are equal but do different things. Just on the face, the fact that Paul is saying that there are any distinctions between men and women is culturally unfashionable right now. If you were to sort of take men are from Mars and women are from Venus and sit it at the table at the coffee shop or bar in front of you here in St. Pete, you would get some strange looks. Where did you come from and from what cave did you crawl out of? And yet there is something very simple about the fact that there are differences between men and women. And what Paul says is that they are equal in being in person different in their roles. Just like God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are equal. There is no difference in the glory that we owe to God than that we owe to the Holy Spirit than that we owe to Jesus. God the Father is not any more God than Jesus is. Jesus is not any less God than the Holy Spirit. They are completely equal. And yet they are distinct. That's hard to wrap your minds around. And any time you try to have an illustration of it, you're probably getting into heresy. And yet, 
their roles in the way that they interact with our life are different. The Holy Spirit didn't die for you on the cross. Jesus did. God the Father doesn't live in your heart. The Holy Spirit does. God the Father created the world through Jesus Christ. You see, there's different things that they do. And what Paul says is, I want to root this discussion of gender in a discussion of God. Because what he's telling us about men and women is that they are different in their roles, but equal in their dignity. Equal in their personhood. And what happens in our culture is we tend to either flatten both the dignity and worth and roles altogether. Right? So they're all the same. There's no distinction between men and women. Everybody can do everything. There's no difference between men and women. And we just sort of throw away any sort of concept of gender. Or we put a hard line in between them and say, not only are men and women different in the roles that they can take, but they are absolutely different and one is better than the other. Well, no, that's, that's not it either. He says, no, no. They are absolutely equal in their personhood, in their value, intrinsically in who they are, and yet God has called them to different roles. Just like God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are different in their roles and yet the same in their glory and majesty. And so he goes on and begins his discussion in earnest about head coverings. And I want to get out of the way this idea because a lot of people will use this text to say, look, this is why the Bible is a misogynistic document. This is why the Bible is part of the patriarchy. And while the Bible absolutely has been used to oppress people, it has not rightly been used to do that. Because that's not what this passage is teaching. And that's not who Paul was. If you read through the book of Acts, like we're doing in our CBR journal, we're going to start reading uh, through Paul's missionary journals next this coming week. And one of the things that's really interesting to see is who Paul ends up reaching out to first in so many of the cities that he goes to. When Paul gets to Philippi, does he meet an influential man that helps him set up the church at Philippi? No, he does not. He meets an influential woman named Lydia. And the church at Philippi was founded in Lydia's home. And then when he gets to Athens, when he gets to Greece, his partners in crime are Priscilla and Aquila. And it's interesting that it's even put that way, Priscilla and Aquila. Because Priscilla is the female name and it would have been strange to say it that way. But it's because Priscilla is one of the most fantastic theologians in the New Testament and Paul calls her that. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he talks to the leaders of the church, Iodia and Syntyche. Don't make me say those names again. You heard it once. That's it. Not doing it again. But when he talks to them, he's speaking to women. 
And even in this passage, we see shades of the way that Paul and that the New Testament church has elevated the status of women. In Judaism of the day, women sat behind a veil, off and separated from the worship of God, where they could only listen in. And in this text, Paul specifically says that women are praying and prophesying in the service of the church. This would have been scandalously liberal. And even for some of you, makes you uncomfortable for me to say that. That's ironic that this passage, on the one hand, causes people to call Paul a misogynist and causes other people to be uncomfortable with how high he has elevated women. That seems to be just the way that God wants it. And so he says to the men, listen men, I don't want you to wear head coverings in worship. What's he actually getting at there? Well, the pagan worship in Corinth at the time was worship where they would, the men would cover their heads. And Paul says, no, what we're doing is different than paganism. Stop it. Now on the other hand, he says to the women, I want you to wear a head covering. This is asymmetrical. Guys, stop wearing hats in church. Girls, you better wear a hat to church. Paul, why can't you just treat us all like humans? What Paul says, and why Paul is asymmetrical here, is because of the cultural norms of the day. For a woman uh, to be in public and have her hair uncovered and let down uh, was a sign that she was looking for a partner. And Paul says, look, when you're up praying and prophesying, it's probably not the best idea to be giving off the wrong vibes, to be telling people that you are looking for a partner. And so Paul says, look, the idea here is that if we truly love God, the idea of decency and order in our worship... The idea of modesty and propriety for both men and women is something that we should pay significant attention to. See, the problem here in Corinth was the same problem that that we've been looking at as we've gone through the book, just expressed in a different way. The people of Corinth were looking to use their freedom for self-glory and not service to others. And it's included in Scripture because you and I are so often looking to use our freedom in Jesus for self-glory and not in service for others. I am much more interested in making myself look good than making Jesus look good. Nobody told me I had to preach this text this week. And I've already told you that at given my druthers, I wouldn't have preached this text this week. And I had to fight all week my desire to make myself look good by only preaching happy, nice sermons that are uncontroversial and that make everybody laugh and smile, and that's fine. in service to something greater. What's the area in your life where you are using your freedom to serve yourself and not to serve others? In what ways are you asserting your right to do whatever you want to make yourself look good and not to serve others? I think that if we listen what we're going to find is that most of us can see ways that we do that pretty clearly. 
Paul goes on and sort of uses the, the sandwich method. Right? When I was in management at Starbucks, they always told us, when you, when you critique somebody, here's what you have to do. You have to say something nice. Then you got to say something mean. Then you got to say something nice. Right? That's, that's the way that all of us, you know, that's the way that we do it here at Starbucks. Two nice things for every one mean thing you say. It wasn't mean. It was just like, you know, you can't wear your hat backwards. Stop it. But you make a great latte and you do an excellent job stocking drinks. Also turn your hat back around. Paul kind of does that here where he sort of goes back to what he was talking about before. The, the idea of the equality and distinction when he starts talking about the fact that man was created first... And when he's talking about man being the head here, he's talking about man being the source of woman. Because in the story we have from Genesis, God created man and man was found lacking. Man was not enough to reflect the full glory of God. He was not enough to accomplish God's purpose and mission on this planet. And so God says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to complete the picture of God and complete the ability to accomplish the mission of God on this planet. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to create woman. And Paul says, isn't it ironic that while man came, or woman came from man in the beginning, every other man in the history of mankind came from a woman. And all of this is from God. You see, we need both masculinity and femininity. We need both male and female to give us a full and true picture of God. Man alone is not enough to show the full picture of God. And neither is woman. Both are necessary. And both are necessary to reflect the justice and authority of God. Because at the end of the day, that's what this passage is getting at. Justice and authority. Does God have the authority to tell you what modesty is? Does God have the authority to tell you what's right and wrong, even when culture questions that? Does God have the right to say what justice is and what justice isn't? What's interesting as we look at these ideas of justice and authority is that justice and authority are two things that came slamming together on the cross of Jesus. Because the justice of God, where we rightly deserve His displeasure for all the ways that we use our freedoms to glorify ourselves and to lift ourselves up, all of that was placed onto Jesus where He innocently died. And authority is not where we are lording things over others. Rather, true Christian authority is the authority of service. Of serving others. You see, Jesus didn't stand on the cross and say, I'm going to get you all now. What did Jesus say to the people who were torturing them? him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The authority of Jesus is not an authority that lords over others, but rather lovingly serves and prays for others. 
And so as we look at this text, we're reminded that God, yes, has absolutely authority to tell us what's right and wrong. And He is just in punishing us. But because of the cross of Jesus, that justice has been satisfied. And that authority as an authority of service. And so you and I are transformed to serve and love others equally. And from our distinct calling as men and women, fulfill the roles with the God gifts, the gifts God has given us. I want to read a quote um, from one of my favorite theologians who gets overshadowed uh, because her husband is also a very eloquent theologian. But this is a quote from Kathy Keller. It says this, Justice in the end is whatever God decrees. So whether or not you are able to see justice and divinely created gender roles depends largely on how much trust you have in God's character. If trust must be earned, hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust with the bark on the raw wounds, the thorns pressed into the brow, your name on the cracked lips of Jesus? And if God can be trusted, then gender roles, with all of God's other gifts to human beings, are to be rejoiced in and enjoyed, not endured and resented. You see, as we begin to see this passage and see the ways that we try to take authority into our own hands, that we try to commit ourselves to our own justice and not God's justice, we find ourselves in need of forgiveness coming to Jesus, repenting, but then being transformed to say, this is who God made me to be, and I am free to love and serve others in the unique way that God has made me. And so we celebrate a new way to be human that serves others distinctly with the gifts that God has given us, including our own gender. And it loves others equally, just like you and I have been loved and served equally by Jesus Christ. Let's pray.